you have a you have a review lesson. We haven't started to use the book a lot. You have a review lesson in, in the sheet, and um, while we're not going to follow that fully, one one of the things I've always found is that as 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 a teacher, you never know how well you've done at teaching in class if you're talking. So tonight's the opportunity to talk about what we've learned from Hebrews. And um, instead of going through and Mitch and I giving some big overall final outline of things that are there, that, that might help us as, as in our own study of Hebrews, but really we want to talk about what we've learned. So there's been all kinds of ways that we've been, that we've been putting together what we've been learning as we go. Um, and so I'd like for just to start off with some of those, and then we'll, we'll take this to, to where we're going. I think Mitch, uh, I think the last thing we'll do tonight is Mitch is going to run the 13-chapter the chapter drill to finish up class. So uh, be thinking about that as, as, we go, as we go through class and, and, and going from there. But one of, the, one of the things that we talked about right up front in, in, these, in these lessons, and I, just, I pulled out all of my notes from all 13 weeks, so that's why I get this big stack of papers. But remember what the very... What the front cover of your book looks like? Mm -hmm. Jesus is better. And can you see now why we picked this title for the class? Um, it's just amazing how many ways that the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is better. And so we gave you in your in your in your in your information this Jesus is better log, and you may or may not have it here tonight. I'd like for us to start there. Let's talk about some of the things you remember from your book that you'll walk away with in your appreciation for Jesus based upon what the Hebrew writer has talked to us about. So, um, again, don't want to call on people to embarrass them, but I want you just to, to think about this. Jesus is better. How does Hebrews help you to understand that more fully after we've studied it these, uh, these last what, eight, nine weeks, something like that? Well, we have example after example. <laughs> okay. There's, a, there's really example after example. So, so give me one. What, what? Jesus, we have a chapter devoted to Jesus is better than the angels. Angels. What's another chapter devoted to we talked about? Moses. Moses. The high priest. Better high priest. Mediator. Mediator. Better priesthood. Priesthood. He's better service. Better better service. <coughs> Better sacrifice. Perhaps the most important one of all of that. And, and, and you'll remember, we, we talked about whole chapters about, about these things, of, of, of why he was better. And we, we, of course, we always kept this in context of Hebrews, because there's Hebrew Christians who were trying to go back to Judaism to relieve some of the persecution they were feeling. We're not in that boat. How does, how does this help us? <clears throat> Listen, I don't think anybody's drifting back into Judaism. Mm -hmm. Michelle? Jesus is better than the world. 
He is. He's better than anything the world has to offer us. Um, anything in any way the world would offer us to entice us away with sin, to just entice us away with just relieving the pressure, the pressure of being a Christian and being different, all those ways that we talked about. Whatever we have to suffer, Jesus, Jesus is better. He's worth, he's worth waiting it out for um, to do that. So ex excellent point. It's another way you've appreciated that Jesus is better. We've talked about some of these these examples after examples since their jump. So this is something that that hits me um, with one of my weaknesses. And we talked about how in chapter three Christ is superior to, to Moses. We talked about the people there of Israel and how they had let their fear, of course, keep them from going into <coughs> promised land when God wanted them to at first. And, and he called it that fear, rebellion. Now that was very, that came home very strong to me because I had let fears rule me in the past. And I'm like, okay, John, because you have to think. Fear is rebellion because you're not trusting in God then. And, that's, and that example of the Israelites was, was, wow, was it not only a, you know, a wonderful exposition of just how they missed out on God's rest because of that, it really was, we talked about it even at the time, the example to us of how if we go back because we're, we don't have the discipline to, you know, or the wherewithal or the, the standing to just push through whatever difficulty we have to push through to be a Christian, if, if we would just, we, if, almost like, um, remember when it said of Moses that Moses chose that instead of the pleasures you know, of Egypt to suffer with the people of God for a season. If we choose the relief because we're afraid of what might happen if we if we stay here, we, we just think of that as being weak. It's not. It's rebelling. And that's exactly how the book of Hebrews talks about that. It's rebelling against God because it's saying, God, I don't trust you to get me through this, whatever it takes there. And that, boy, that puts a different light on things, doesn't it? That, uh, you know, I, I just think, well, I just have a little weakness enough. enough. And then, yes, weakness is something that happens here. But no, when, it, when, when I face up to what it really takes to be a Christian, and I, and I walk away in fear because I don't want to be singled out, I don't want to suffer some sort of persecution or ridicule, that really is a path to rebellion. Excellent, excellent thought. Going off of that, I think yeah. the book of Revelation says uh, cowardly. And just thinking of how Mm -hmm. If we leave Christ, we're, we're actually being cowards and, and leaving. Uh, uh, we're leaving the best thing that we could ever have. So it's it's almost illogical to do something like that. It, it is if we've thought about it ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in the middle of it, it feels like, <coughs> well, of course, these are my alternatives that are here. And yet, the Book of Hebrews does a great job of explaining to us, well, here's where these paths lead. That. If you, if you suffer, um, even chastisement, as we talked about in chapter 12, if you suffer in order to grow, uh, in order to be stronger, that leads in this, in this path that actually allows you to experience God's rest right now, not only and then in eternity as well. This other path that's followed by fear and cowardliness, you know, makes it feel like, well, I, you know, like the Israelites, well, I didn't have to fight those people. But what you have to do? 
you're, you had to wander in the wilderness to the porch straw. And that's really kind of the, the visual image that you get here between those two things, that that cowardly way actually leads to a much worse existence in this world and the world to come, regardless of what we have to face. So, excellent, excellent thoughts there. Okay, I was just going to say, there is a verse, and it, it probably is in Revelation, that it says, cowards will not go to heaven. Yep. Other thoughts about how Jesus is better and how Revelation is, I mean, not Revelation, it's how Hebrews. Well, I think the writer was setting a hierarchy, okay? Christ is up here, okay? You, you no longer need Moses and the angels and the high priest. He's above all them. And that, that was the important factor for them to learn and for us as well. Excellent. But, but, I think that, that that's right. And, and no matter who we might put in that blank, if we don't put Judaism in that's there, whatever we would put in that blank, we'll substitute. it's still there, still a higher. Because what does Hebrews, the second chapter, teach us about Jesus? Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. At the right hand. Sitting at the right hand. His work God is finished. What's it? Except for God the Father. That's exactly right. Next to God the Father, He's sitting down. His work is finished. And He will be there until what? Until when? All of His... To the end of the world, which is another way of saying until all of His enemies. And that picture is given of Jesus. This is the Jesus that we serve here. He is supreme over everything. And whatever doesn't look like it's been put in subjection to Him yet, whatever we see in the world that looks like, well, well, surely if Jesus is in control, that wouldn't be allowed to happen. No, that's not the way we look at it. Jesus is over everything. He's already won the victory. And it's just a matter of time until that is recognized by all as, as, we, as we move ahead. John? There's something else, and I don't, I, I don't know off the top of my head. But in chapter 6, it says, I, I wrote down what, what are the main ideas of Hebrews 6, 1, uh, 1 through 6.20. And I wrote, we can fall away and leave the Lord and the faith, and the hope of heaven is an anchor for the soul. And I was just thinking, did they even, did they know about heaven in the Old Testament? Was it taught as a place for them to go? Without, without going too far, um, one of the, the phrases that, all, that always comes to mind to me is remember when David had the sin with Bathsheba, she had the baby, the baby died. And remember what David says at the end of that, of that ordeal? He says that I can, he can no longer come to me, but I will go to him. And so there was a, there was a sense of eternity that was there in David's thought there. So obviously not as not as much as taught there as here but um, was that sense of eternity there absolutely absolutely and, and that has this in particular the hope of heaven really helped me to come through some hard times and that's hope is an anchor of the soul right that's that's that, that's what it's about because without hope if we, if we think that there is nothing that we get for facing these things, what will we face? Why will we look at these things? Well, the second question we asked here, I thought was a really good one to, to talk about here as well. Um, we've talked about how this is a book written to, to Christians who were being pressured to go back to the Jewish culture and to give up their Christianity. What are the, some of the applications you have learned from Hebrews about not giving up as a Christian in our modern culture. 
I had a whole list of things that the modern culture is, for, is, is, is pulling us away from. Don't, don't even have to look very far in the news even this week to see the way the modern culture is affecting our society around us in ways that will, will be at odds with what we would believe as Christians about things like marriage and things like that. But all that being said, what, what are some of the things that Hebrews would teach us about how to deal with our modern culture and how it is pushing at us as Christians to give up on those things that make us distinctive as Christians. So? Paul says that Jesus is our moderator, mediator. Excellent. So whenever there's cultural pressure, is it easy to forget, hold it, who's our advocate? Jesus. Who, who's, who's sitting by God's side saying, hey, this is this is what Greg needs to get through this, or here's here's what's happening, or she's prepared for it, you know, and, and she'll stand up and, and no matter what's happening here. It's Jesus. Jesus is our, is our, is our advocate in doing that. And um, let's face it, we're in a world that's around us. There's more and more of those pressures are, are going to come at us. And we will be more distinctive as Christians if our lights continue to shine. It will be more apparent the hills that we're standing on if our lights continue to shine. But guess what that makes us? More and more of a target for doing that. And maybe that's how it should be. That's how it was in the first century. Look at what happened to Christianity. Um, think about now as people look at what the world is trying to offer them through the world's culture. What is it? What is that to compare to what Jesus is offering? John? I was just looking at some of my other notes. Um, in chapter 5, it says, In what ways do, does um, Hebrews 5, 1 through 14 challenge you to grow? And um, some of my notes were, um, Well, spiritual maturity is not optional. If you think you don't know very much, you start studying right now. Because only, only by knowing God's Word Will you have an answer to give to the devil? You can't just tell him no. You need to you need to know the scriptures and know what it is that God does want you to do. And you need to you need to tell him, okay, you're get out of my get out of my heart because I'm going to do instead of fearing God, I'm going to trust in Him. Instead of worrying, I'm going to have hope in heaven. Why is uh, progressing to spiritual maturity vital for us to be able to stand with the pressures of the world? That was the third question on the review. You just opened the door for that. Why is it vital? Spiritual maturity. But what had spiritual maturity caused in the Hebrews that the Hebrew writer gets on to them pretty sternly about? A lack of spiritual maturity. A lack of spiritual maturity. <clears throat> they weren't progressing. Instead of uh, being teachers, they still had someone to teach them the <coughs> elementary principles. And they should be teaching elementary principles to other people, and they still need it. Quit studying. Transforms us into teachers. Excellent. What else? What, where else did they get in trouble because they lack spiritual maturity? They lack confidence.
You know, that's a. I think that's a really profound. That's a really profound observation. That we talked about fear and how fear <coughs> leads can lead us to rebellion. What's what's the combat for fear? It, it's it's confidence. Mm -hmm. It's it's knowing what we believe is true. And how do we know that it's true? Well, we've implemented it. We've studied it. We've implemented it. We've seen it happen in our lives. We've seen changes happen to us and to other people. We've seen other people who've hit their shoals by not implementing it. We understand what happens there. That spiritual maturity of both to look at ourselves and how we are progressing and to see others and, and others when they're not progressing and when you try to admonish them if they don't heed those admonishments to see what happens. That, that brings us confidence in the Word. That it will do what it is intended to do if we actually allow it to have its, have its part. Think about how this, we might not have this book of Hebrews if those Hebrews would have had that spiritual maturity, right? Because they wouldn't have been wavering. Um, and while we get the value of the teaching out of this, we'd have gotten the teaching we needed some other way if it weren't for them. That, that wavering they had was truly jeopardizing their spirit. And they weren't wavering because they were being tested. God's going to test all of us. He's going to test them. They were wavering because they were failing the test. That was, that was the, the key there. And I think that's one of the things that Hebrews 12 helps us to understand is, is that fact that God is going to chastise. He is going to allow us to be tested so that we can grow. If we fail to grow, that's because we're failing the test. And it's not a failure on God's part to, to be able to do that. In fact, you might look at Hebrews chapter 11 that we talked about as an entire chapter about having confidence in God. Because what is it? What do we talk about in that chapter? Faith. Heroes of faith. Heroes of faith. And what, what distinguished all of those as we went through talking about that? Is they just trusted God. Even some of them, like Samson, who didn't trust Him till the end. But when they finally trusted God, it's obvious that God took care of them and He worked through them. And that He either worked through them to accomplish His will and release them from the persecution and the pressure they were under, or else they succumbed to the, in, this, in this earthly world to those things. And they were delivered into the, into, into the next world because, um, with faith because of that. And so um, that value of spiritual maturity is, I think, is, is huge. And where does spiritual maturity stop? When, when do we get off that train? When you die. <laughs> we don't, right? We just don't. We just we just keep trying to mature and to and to learn and understand more. And it's uh, all of us are old enough to. To, to maybe experience here, maybe not now. Andy, you're getting, you know, you've got a few years here. But what happens as you get older and you see those things that you used to, before, we used to shake you up, and they don't shake you up anymore. But are there new things that get thrown at you? Absolutely. And so, um, excellent, excellent. Great. Those, yeah, Brian. Uh, <clears throat> transforming us into be teachers and the confidence. You know, I was thinking, when we were in school, you know, if we studied for a test and really had it all down pat. We went into that test with a lot of confidence. But if we didn't, you know, we didn't do too well. So I think facing the world that we live in, which you were talking about, how do we do that? I think the more trials that we go through that we succeed in, <laughs> looking back, you know, that we've conquered, the more confidence we have. And so that's how we face up the world. 
It really is. And when things seem to be going awry like they are th today, um, maybe we just need to meet that remember that admonition that uh, Mitch and I were talking about this, where someone said, you know, why don't we just let God sit on His throne and let yeah. Him work out His business? Now let's get about working on our business. Our business is, is becoming spiritual mature and to, to teach the Word to those around us to to navigate through this world as best as we can, relying upon God and what we've learned from doing that. <clears throat> Whatever's happening around us is just going to happen around us. God's letting that happen for a reason, and we may or may not understand it. That's okay. He, he's got it, and we, we don't have to have it um, for, for doing that. Okay, other thoughts about that? John? Yeah, I, I was just thinking um, about today and how to answer that question, you know, the valuable of value of spiritual maturity you know, for, for us. We're, we are Christians, so we're not going to turn back to Judaism. But um, I was just thinking that the way the world bombards us with information and how our society pushes people to conform or else and makes it, and of course tells some truth with, with lies, which is what the devil is good at, um, you know, just wants to lead people to to do what they want, really. That's that's what our society and our culture tries to do, um, through books, through movies, through um, social media, and so it's really hard to get away from any of that. But if we have spiritual maturity, then we can do that. We can so well, it's it's an ongoing fight too with with yes. Satan as far as if you give an inch to sin or what's the saying you give an inch it's take a mile. a mile you know if you let that <laughs> sin into your life unchecked I mean we saw all the examples we had of Hebrews 11 where you know majority of them stumbled at some point you know and then they they came back around God's there He's wanting us to succeed so. He actually is. He's, he's got a hand out when we stumble, right? Yeah. Um, there's a crowd around us cheering when we're running that race, and that image that he paints for us there in the 12th chapter of, of looking at that. But then that picture of that Jesus is right there helping us. Yeah. He's helping us every step along the way. He's, and he's also at the finish line. So you can make it. If I made it, you can make it. You know, all, all those images that are there, those those are really meant to, to help us to understand just how confidence we should have, to help us to understand from our experiences how to overcome, and to help us to actually teach others how to do that as well as, as, as we go along. So ex excellent, excellent thoughts. And, and isn't it interesting, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verse 25, which is the, which is the famous... You ought, to, you ought to come to church when the church building opens um, verse, right? Isn't that how we use it? What was the key point of that related to what we're talking about there when we actually looked at verses 24 and 25, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25? Why do we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays? Why do we assemble? Encourage others. Start on Encourage others. Boy, that's a lesson that, I, that I've taken home. You ever feel, eh, I'm not really feeling good tonight. Should the, shouldn't the last thought be in our mind be, be you know, and I'm not talking about when we're sick and make someone sick from being there, but it's just, I'm not really feeling that good tonight. Maybe if I go to church, I'll feel better. 
Is that really the center point of that verse? <laughs> I wonder if there's anyone at church I can, can encourage tonight. Ooh, that changes the whole picture, doesn't it? Uh, where's anyone there that I'm... That, boy, that, that spiritual maturity that goes, do I have to go to church? To, you know, the, the, when you're a 10-year-old, do I have to go to church again? That changes into, wow, you know, I get to go to church. All these good things have happened to me as to, there are people here who might need something I have to, to say tonight. Or maybe just need a shoulder to be there. They just need to see me there again um, to, to do that. I mean, it's, um, how many times have we seen an older member there that we know is a struggle when we be here and we go, you know what? They keep picking up their legs and getting in the door. They keep wheeling in the door. All the power. Yep. I'm going to do it too, and it's and it's just uh, it's an amazing thing, and so that, that spiritual maturity just just rides through this. That if if the Hebrews would have been mature, they could have fended this off. So the answer for us, whenever we feel like we need some more we need some more power to fend off what the world's doing to us, well, here's the spot right here. Get get the book and get get into meditation about that. What do you think, Mitch? Where where do you want to take us next? Well, I was thinking of. Um Come on, Dennis. <laughs> I was thinking that you ever had a, a aha moment? You know, that you hear that sometimes people say, aha. Well, very succinctly, what aha? I have one. Moments, I'll, I'll share with mine a little bit. Did you have a, from Hebrews that maybe you never thought of before? Or a little light bulb went off and go, ah, so now I understand that. Anybody have any, Tom? Well, in Hebrews 11, when we talked, when we did that study about all the characters, you know, we, we read about them, and, and Abraham and, and Isaac, and these great characters <coughs> that we've talked about and studied in the past, they're just like you and me. Yeah. I mean, they, they stumbled, they had sin. You know, it, it really helped me to relate and to know that okay I may have struggles but they had struggles too. Just people yeah. like us. Sometimes we put them way up here and they stumbled and fell and got back up and just like we do. Kind of an aha moment. Sometimes we say well they could do it but you know they were special people. They really weren't. They weren't superhuman. They were not superheroes. That's who God does His best work with. People like us and people like them. That's a good aha moment. Make it quick. Aha moment. About God's rest being now. That was. Oh, that was a good one. Blew me away. That that was aha moment number two for me. <laughs> God's rest. Now, someone explain. God's rest is now. Now, two. Yes, there's one coming. You go, well, I'm not too restful sometimes. I don't feel too restful with everything going on. How, what, what was the Hebrew writer's point about God's rest now? How are we resting now? I know um, one of the things is we are free from the slavery of sin. Because of Jesus. Absolutely. 
And I want to talk about conscious in a minute in chapters 9 and 10. That was my aha moment. But that's true, Joan. Any others on the... Your relationship. Yeah. <coughs> that's the big one. We're at rest now if we're in the right relationship with God and with Jesus. And let the world throw whatever it throws at us. When you need to be afraid is when you're not in the right relationship with Him. You better be afraid. And you haven't reached that spiritual maturity. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Thank you for that. Uh, what about an, another one? Just kind of like, ooh, I never thought of that before. Or that amplification really... I think I get it now. Anybody else? Great. Lean in when times are tough. Is the one I've, and that was really my lesson uh, that I learned coming out of, uh, really out of Hebrews the sixth chapter, is when times get tough, falling away, pulling back is the exact wrong thing to do. Lean <coughs> in. Let, let God work on us. What's the easy thing to do? Well, not the easy about it, I guess, but why is it, it's just easier to pull back when things get rough. Like, I give up. When you're on the sports team, what's the easy thing to do? I quit. Well, that's the, aren't you brave? <laughs> um, you know, the easy thing to do is quit when times get rough. And has anybody in there ever, ever had a tough time? That's right, we all had our hands up. Um, you can quit or you can move on. And uh, like Jesus told Peter, we talked about, are you going to quit too, Peter? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? There's no place to go. That's going to satisfy you. The conscience. I had read this many times. I've studied it many times. But a, a light bulb went off this time when we got to chapter 9 and chapter 10. <clears throat> Go to chapter 9 real quickly. Chapter 9, verse... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. Now notice, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Because the old law, basically, is saying, is concerned with food and drink and various washings and baptisms and fleshly ordinances and imposed until the time of Reformation. And then we jump over to chapter 10. Um, what he talks about, no, I'm sorry, uh, verse uh, 14. How much, verse 13, I'll, I'll get it right in a minute. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself uh, without spot to God to cleanse your conscience from dead works. What were the dead works? Uh, the, the old law. For this reason, 
because it couldn't cleanse uh, the conscience, the old law, blood, bulls, of goats. Um, he is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death. Now notice this, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. Have you ever heard this before? Jesus' blood flows backward and forward. That is true. And you ask somebody, well, where's that? Well, I don't know. I just know that's there. It's in the Bible. Well, it sort of, it is. <coughs> the the um, examples of all of that, but here it's very uh, relatively specific when he says, um, <coughs> with Jesus' blood, it, it redeemed the transgressions uh, under the first covenant as well. His blood did flow backwards and forwards. Because under the old law, blood and bulls and goats couldn't cleanse uh, you from sin. It just, they were just, if you will, uh, they were remembered every year. You know, so we call it roll forward. I'm okay with that, I guess. But it was remembered every year. But it was never really forgiven because bulls and goats' blood doesn't forgive sins permanently. Jesus' blood did. So it cleansed the conscience. It cleanses our conscience. Even though we had sin uh, in our past, some of them pretty bad, um, when, when God forgives, He forgives. And, and it does cleanse our conscience. What's 1 Peter 3.21 say? Remember we, uh, it's a corollary to that. Baptism, Baptism does also now save us. What? Not Parenthetically. Not the washing of the uh, Yeah, not the... the um, uh, what, uh, somebody read that. I've got it in my mind now. That bell got me going because I only got a minute or two. 3.21? Yeah. First John 3.21. Uh, Peter 3.21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we have a good conscience? Jesus' blood and His resurrection. Because if He was resurrected, what does that say about us someday? We're going to be resurrected too. So when we're baptized into water, it's an ordinance if you want to say that. Yes, I would say that right. But it's obedience. And we are, Romans 6 says we're baptized in, uh, into His death. And we're raised to walk a new life just like He was raised as our, as our risen Savior. So the conscience. Uh, I read that, but I don't think I ever really quite got it. Um, that's the beauty. That's why Jesus is better. His blood not just cleanses um, <clears throat> under the old law, but that blood did not cleanse us. His blood cleanses our conscience too. That's not the milk of the Word. That's some of the meat of the Word there. If we can get that concept, we, we, we've made a, a nice little stride in this. The people who accept Jesus in their heart often I hear that they feel light after. There's a lightness. I remember when I was baptized a while ago, mm -hmm. today was the other day, three years ago was my second time. Um, I felt a light that was just 
removed from my conscious. Cleaned in your conscious. He wants cleaning my conscious. Yeah. You're no longer haunted by the sin. That might be a good way to say it too. Yes. We're no longer haunted, haunted and, by, yeah. uh, by our past sins. And the Hebrew writer would and say they are haunting. Would say we've laid aside our weight. Yeah. It's yes, like yes. running a race. You've taken the weight off of you. Now you can yeah. run the race, yeah. and that's, and that's. A, I think it's a very valid point. Absolutely, really good point. Yeah. What did Jesus say about the one? Who should we fear? Fear. Fear the one. Uh, yes, we fear the one who can kill the body. Yes, we we do. But he said, don't fear, don't don't worry too much about that one. Fear him who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. Yeah. That's who we better fear. Yeah. Well, you mean a loving God would do? Yes, he said he would. I believe what the Bible says. He 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 has that side to him too. That's who you fear. That's who you fear. That's a good point. Really good. And the verse that stood out the most to me is yeah. Hebrews is chapter 7, verse 25, where he says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus, the fact that he's living right now for us is just mind-boggling and encouraging at the same time for me. That's a good aha moment. That's really good. Sometimes you think, well, you know, Jesus resurrected and sits at God's right hand. Yes, well, what's he doing? Playing pinochle? No. I love that. He lives to mediate for us. He lives to help us. Sometimes you think, well, nobody cares, just me. Well, that's not true. Jesus lives for us. Now, what's he doing? How's he? I don't know how he does what he does. That's way above my pay grade. But I know he does. Think about all those qualities of Jesus in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that the writer talks about, including he's the creator. The creator lives to mediate for us, to make sure that we get to have that full relationship with God. Who else are we going to go to that's going to give us that? And even, you know, we, we something that's maybe a second or first cousin to that. Uh, not in this, not in this book. But what does the Holy Spirit? What some of His work? You know, oh, He's so mysterious. Well, maybe a little bit. What does the Holy Spirit do in our prayers? So if you ever prayed where I'm not sure how to say this, God says, the Holy Spirit says, "I got that. I got it. Just say the best you can." He'll fill in the blanks for us. So what's he doing? He's interceding for us. What's he doing? He's living for us. He mediates for us. So it almost looks like, and he goes, looks at us and says, so what's your problem? Really? So what's your problem? Just keeps taking Great away every, class. Just keeps taking away every excuse. Yeah. We, we don't have an excuse. We don't have any excuse. Now, thank you all for... for Yes, thank you. 13 or 14 weeks. We've enjoyed it. We always, the teacher always learns more than everybody else. But you all were awesome. Thank you. You did a wonderful job. Thank you.